Now, this evening, we come to the second part of the book of Ezra. I mentioned this at the very beginning. The first part, that is verses 1 through 6, deal with the return of the people from Babylon and the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. And in this second part, chapters 7 through 10, we have the personal mission and work of Ezra detailed. Now, at the very start of these studies, I pointed out that between the last part of Second Chronicles and the beginning of the book of Ezra, there is a period of 70 years. So there's a 70-year period between the end of Chronicles and the beginning of the book of Ezra. That was the time of Israel's captivity. Now, the opening phrase in verse 1 of this 7th chapter, after these things, points to a period of about 60 years that is between Ezra chapter 6 and Ezra chapter 7. So there's 70 years between Chronicles and Ezra, and there's about 60 years between the 6th chapter and the 7th chapter of the book of Ezra. And the details that you find in the book of Esther took place during this particular time. And the events that took place in the book of Esther covered a period of about 10 years, during which time Ahasuerus was the king. He was the one who divorced his wife and married Esther. And Esther eventually became the queen in place of the former wife. And she became the queen in 476 BC. And the book of Esther shows how wicked Haman plotted to destroy the entire Jewish race in the Persian provinces. We all know that story well. He was an exceedingly wicked and evil man. But God's providential and preserving hand was upon his people. And we read in chapter 4 verse 14 of Esther that the Lord had brought Esther to the kingdom for such a time as that. It was the divine providence of God that she was there. The Jewess, she could have been killed. But God in this providence had her placed there. She married this man, Ahasuerus. She was in the right place at the right time to be of use for the service of God. Consequently, the book of Esther tells how the tables were unexpectedly turned with the result that Haman was hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for Mordecai. God overruled in a powerful fashion uh, to do that. And the cause of the Jews was maintained. God sovereignly overruled in the affairs of his people because nothing can frustrate the purposes and the plans of God. And we need to keep our minds filled with this truth in these times in which we live. Now at the last we meet the man from whom the book gets its name. We meet Ezra. And chapter 7 and 8 introduce him and his task and his expedition. And then the remaining two chapters, chapters 9 and 10, show the moral decay that existed and prevailed 
in the city of Jerusalem on his return and what he had to do to counteract that trouble and that situation that prevailed in the city, how he dealt with that. Now the chapter itself before us falls into four different parts. Uh, verses 1 through 5 deals with Ezra's genealogy. We'll come to that in a moment or two. And then verses 6 through 10 give a brief summary of his expedition to Jerusalem, but that is dealt more fully with in the next chapter. It's just there as a little snippet to whet the appetite for what lies ahead. And then in verses 11 through 26, we have the letter that the king gave to Ezra, giving him the authority to do what he had to do in the land of Israel on his return, so that no one could stand in his way. God is using an ungodly king again to further the cause of God's people. And he gave a God's servant an expense account, spend whatever you need, up to maybe $100,000 in today's money. You have that available to you to further the cause of God and truth in the land of Israel. And then the last two verses of the chapter 27 and 28 really are a doxology. It's praise to God for God's overruling hand in the case of the king and then in the provision of everything needed to do the work of God in Jerusalem. So it's all here in the book of Ezra. And it's there for a reason. It's there to teach us truth today. I just have a couple of things that I want to draw to your attention from this uh, today. First of all, let's think for a moment or two about Ezra's ancestry. As I said a moment or two ago, verses 1 and 5 uh, really provide Ezra's genealogy, proof that he was a priest from the family of Aaron. Remember, in chapter 2, there were people who couldn't prove their genealogy, and then they were not able to join in the priesthood. They couldn't prove that they were of the priestly family. But here's a man who could, you see. He could trace his family tree back through 16 generations. And that's why I didn't go through all those words in the opening four verses. 16 generations. Uh, to Aaron, the first high priest of Israel, to prove that he was a true priest. He was therefore entitled to all of the privileges of, of the priesthood. So how did he become a priest? That's the question, very important, especially with regards to us. How did he become a priest in the priest in the family of the great high priest? Through birth, he was born into the priestly family. Now, I'm sure you've read through Peter's epistles, and in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, Christians are described as a royal priesthood. And every child of God can trace his or her ancestry back to the great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And it is by the new birth that we are born into the family of God that we become part of his family. That's important. So from this historical account before us, we see spiritual truth provided for us to encourage us in our meeting tonight that we are part of the family of God through the new birth in union with Jesus Christ, our great high priest, who appears now in the presence of God on our behalf. So as we gather here in the place of prayer, 
We have one in heaven, a man in the glory, who knows all about us, who loves us and cares for us, who at this very moment is interceding on our behalf, holding up holy hands in the presence of God on our behalf. That ought to encourage us as the people of God. Now, I'm sure you know this, but just as a reminder, the first Old Testament high priest was Aaron. And the Old Testament high priest points us to Christ, our great high priest. The sons of Aaron were the regular priests, members of Aaron's family originally, and they represent believers today. So Aaron represented Christ, and the sons of Aaron, the ordinary regular priests, they represent the people of God today. We are priests and the family of God. According to Revelation 1, 6, we are a kingdom of priests. And under the Old Testament covenant, the priests were chosen from the Levitical tribe and they ministered there in the temple and in that place beyond the veil was the Ark of the Covenant that rested there. That was the throne of God and the Holy of Holies. And that particular area was shut off from everybody else but the high priest who in the day of atonement entered into that place to represent the people of God. Here's Christ entered into heaven on behalf of his people. And there was that large ornate curtain that separated the holy place from the holiest of all. And the high priest entered in once a year on the day of atonement. He brought with him the blood that was sprinkled on him before the mercy seat. He brought with him the incense, the prayers of Christ. He's coming into the presence of God, not in his own merit, but through the blood that points us to Christ and through the intercession of Christ with the incense. And that place is filled with the smell of the incense coming into the presence of God. And there he makes an atonement on behalf of his people. He sprinkles the blood on the mercy seat to make an atonement for our sins. But when Jesus, our great high priest, died on Calvary's cross, the veil of the temple was rent from top to bottom, indicating that it was a work of God from top to bottom. Well, that, that, that veil was high enough. Nobody could have gotten up to it, really. It was a miracle. It was maybe four inches thick. And yet it was, it was uh, torn there in the very center. And a way was opened up into the presence of God, showing that all believers now have direct access to God's presence. We have therefore boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he hath consecrated or opened for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh through his body. We need to understand this. If we don't have a proper understanding of the priestly work of the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to falter and fail. Because it all depends on that. He went to the cross and he finished the work of redeeming us by the shedding of his blood. But now he continues as an unfinished work in the presence of God representing us, pleading the merits of what he accomplished on the cross in the presence of his heavenly father on our behalf and how we need that. We are weak. We all know we're weak. We falter, we fail. We know that only too well. We can't succeed in the Christian life without this. 
And we've got to focus on him every day, representing us there in the presence of God, there even now in his presence. He mediates there on our behalf. Remember in Luke chapter 24, the few last verses of the chapter, the Lord's about to return to heaven. He leads his disciples out to Bethany, and there at Bethany, he does something very wonderful. He lifts his hands. Okay. Now remember what had happened a short time before that. These hands were impaled to the cross. The marks were visible. Of course, they still are in his glorified body. So he raises his hands and he begins to pray. He begins to bless his disciples who are gathered around there, indicating that this was what he was going to heaven to do. He was going to go to heaven to represent his people. So there he is, hands raised up, these hands that had been scarred on Calvary's cross. And upon the merits of the work he completed in Calvary, he blesses his people. This was actually a fulfillment of what happened in the book of Leviticus chapter 9, when Aaron, the high priest, made a sacrifice for the sins of his people, and he uh, took that blood, so his hands would have been covered with the blood. And on that occasion, then he raised his hands. They're bloody hands. A bloody hand reminding of the sacrifice that just had been made and had been sprinkled in various places. And there he raises his hand, a bloody hand, and he bestows a blessing upon his people. Christ fulfilled that when he stood there in Bethany, raised up nail-scarred hands, reminding of the sacrifice, and then, thank God, he ascended up into glory to do for his people now what he had done for the disciples there. Interceded in their behalf. Oh, what a wonderful Savior. And he's still there at God's right hand, living in the power of an endless life. We are priests in the family in union with Jesus Christ. We find acceptance with God through him. And we are entitled to all of the, the priestly blessings. Access to God, communion with him, promise of answer to prayer, protection, guidance, help. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. Never a moment does he sleep. Never a moment does he slumber. Never a moment does he fail. He cannot fail. It's impossible for him to fail. And he has upon his heart the burden of his people. He knows everything about you, everything about me, everything about what we face in life, our faults, our failures, and everything else. But there he's reigning, he's living for us. The power of an endless life. And as we keep our eyes on him, we cannot fail. So we are in Christ. We are priests in the great high priest. And the great high priest stands before God and we find acceptance with him. That's a tremendous thought, tremendous teaching from the word of God. And we have a picture of it here. If this man was able to trace his ancestry back to that first high priest, pointing us to the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's his ancestry. So tomorrow, or maybe tonight after the prayer meeting, you're going to get an attack from the devil. He's going to come and whisper in your ear, did you believe that stuff tonight? 
You could never keep anything in your life. You're just a failure. You're a miserable wretch. Did they, did they ever tell you that? Did you ever believe it? And then he comes and sits on us. And all the while Christ is there representing us by the merits of his blood. God bless Derek Irwin down there. He needs the help of God. He needs my help. God bless him. And he's taking your name upon his, his breath even now in heaven. God bless my afflicted church. We've got to move on. Which The second thing, and I'm only going to do two tonight, uh, Ezra's ability. Uh, verse 6, we're told something here, that he was already scribe of the law. So he was a scribe as well as a priest. You can see that from these verses. He became a priest by faith. He became a scribe by personal study of the word. That's how he became a scribe. Now, the word uh, scribe could be translated teacher. Now, originally, uh, scribes were like secretaries to the king, and later their work uh, was to copy the laws of the nation. For example, the nation of Israel, as far as the scribe, this scribe is concerned. In Ezra's day, their duty was to transcribe scriptures and then explain and expound them. Now, a new order of scribe arose at this particular time in the history of the nation of Israel. They actually took, in a way, the, the place of the priests and exercised a vital ministry during the silent years between the Testaments, 400 long years. There was no prophetic voice during that particular point of time. So these scribes filled the void there at that particular time. They were not prophets because their work was different. The word they spoke was not a new word from God because that came through the prophets. What they were doing, they took the word the Lord had already given and applied it to the ever-changing conditions of the people. And so the book of God never alters. The book we have before us, yea and amen in Christ, it never changes, it never alters. And this word can be applied to our changing conditions and circumstances in life. The book never changes. God never changes. And so as we meet with changing circumstances, we appeal to this word, this book that remains the same for guidance and comfort and direction in the service of God. And I think we're right to think that Ezra was, was standing here as the head of this new order. The, the chapter makes it clear that he was a gifted scholar and a very effective teacher. When you come to the book of Nehemiah chapter 8, Remember, they had that great reading of the word and the preaching of the word and a pulpit was there. They got the pulpit up. Ezra was there with the pulpit and he, he read the scriptures distinctly and he expounded it for all to understand it, not over the heads of the people. Well, he really opened it up. He was a gifted scholar and an effective teacher of God's law. It says he was ready or well-versed, a well-versed scribe. That, well, that word ready means skilled. He was skilled in the word. Now, I wonder, are we skilled? Are we well versed in the word of the Lord? That word also means rapid, and that suggests the quickness to grasp what he had studied. Now, sometimes with me, I sit down and read something. It takes me 
a minute or two just to see what it's all about. Maybe the same thing applies to you. But with him, when he read it, he had that ability to grasp what was there. Now, if you come upon something in the Bible and you just can't understand it, don't just close the Bible and say, oh, well, I'll wait till some other time. The other time never happens, never comes. If you have a dictionary uh, or if you have some study book or journal, uh, consult with that. If not, ask the elders in the church and come to the preacher in the last place if it so works out that way. But ask someone to explain it to you so that you'll carry that with you and understand it and come to a grasp of what the word is all about. Remember Jesus, the greatest preacher of all time with the two disciples on the mess road, he, he began at Moses and, and he began to explain the scriptures. And then they didn't know what he was talking about. They accused them of being dull and slow of heart to understand, slow to grasp what was there. And sometimes that's the way we are, we're dull. Slow to grasp the significance of the word. That's not the will of God. The will of God is to reveal these things to us. I thank God the Holy Spirit can do this. Can do something that a preacher may not be able to do effectively. The Holy Spirit can give us illumination. He can illuminate the mind. I, I pray every morning as I go to study. Open thou mine eyes that I may behold wondrous things from thy law. Send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hell and to the altar of God. As I pray for light. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall I give the Holy Spirit to them and ask him? I pray those things every morning. God will give me light that I might preach the word. He was a man of the book. Oh, no. When I thought about that, I had to ask myself, a very personal question. Derek, are you a man of the book? I had to hang my head in shame. I felt so unworthy. Ezra was a man of the book, devoted to the study of scripture. And as such a man, he had the right to introduce the necessary reforms and act, and, and act it as a second Moses to the nation. And that's what he was, the second Moses to the nation. He expounded God's word to the people. And as he studied the word, guess what happened? His faith increased. That's how faith has increased. We exercise faith in the word, Romans 10, verse 17. And we need faith in order that our Life might reflect something of the beauty of Christ. And as he studied, he prayed for God's help for his people. And he was reminded of the need the people had in the land of Judah. And the Lord put it into his heart to go into the presence of the king to make petition. My people in Judah need me. Send me to Judah. And God in his providence provided the open door. God was in control of the heart of that ungodly man and said, you can go and you can tend to the needs of the people, the spiritual needs of the people, teach them the law and then set up the judgment there for me as well and judicial things as well as the law of God. He trusted Ezra. He's a man of God, you see. He had the respect of this ungodly man. 
The Bible says, for Ezra had prepared his heart to seek. You could put in the word study there for seek. seek study the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Notice the order. Seek, to do, and teach. You search it, you study it, then you do it. Not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word. We have to do it ourselves in order to teach it. For people to uh, pay any attention to it. So we've got to study it. Then once we study it. And it's revealed to us. We've got to do it. And then when we do it. Then we can go to the pulpit and preach it. Because we've done it. And that's, that's a test for a preacher. Because when he comes to the pulpit. He has been tried in all of these points himself. And a preacher who has an experience with God. Is a man who can preach from that experience. And people will know where he's coming from. That, that's it. He's not only a hearer but a doer. And we're told in First Peter, come to a close. First Peter, verse chapter one, verse ten. We're told there about people who search the scriptures diligently. That's a very interesting term that is expressed here. It means to trace out by minute investigation. Is that the way you study your Bible? Minute investigation. It's related to a word that, that uh, is used of dogs striking game. Some of you in the country have had experience with this and so on. It, it speaks of spies surveying the country. Remember, Moses sent out the spies. Every nook and cranny they went into. What kind of land is this? Where are we going here? Who lives here? It's the way we come to study the Bible. Every nook and cranny. Look under the leaves there. Under the pages. What's here? What's that? Well, that's how we get to know the Bible. A person uncovering a vessel. Uh, there's a friend of mine in Philadelphia. How many his mate? For years and years, they went about gathering old bottles. They're worth a fortune. And they went to this place and that place. They had a dig and they found all these blue bottles or brown bottles and beer bottles and everything else. And then they took it into uh, a store or shop there paid a lot of dollars for it and the joy they had when they uncovered a very valuable one that's the picture you uncover some of the promises of God and you'll want to shout hallelujah sometimes I do that and thinks I'm shouting in her I'm just getting the joy of the Lord in my soul oh when that happens you're really enjoying Bible study it's the picture of a lion seeking the prey I, maybe I told this before. There was an old preacher in, in the Balamina church. And uh, you know that verse, to walk circumspectly. I maybe I mentioned this before. You know how he described that? He says, now, you know a wall is up here. You don't want people breaking into your property. In those times, you used to break bottles. You know the way he used to do it? All the glass up on the top here. All right. And if you made the effort to go up there, all the, the blood flows. And the picture he gave of walking circumspectly is a cat. A cat puts his paw there. It sees a sharp piece of glass. It moves there. It's walking circumspectly. There it is. And gets across. Not a cut. No blood. Not a pain. And we are to walk circumspectly. Not as fools redeeming the time for the days are evil. Oh, we've got to end of this book. We've got to become students of the book, scholars of the Holy Scriptures. 
Ezra was a man of the book. He brought God's word with him from Babylon to the community established in Judah. He preached the word. The hearts of the people were touched. They were humbled as they saw their sin and their lives were changed through the power of God. God came down among them. May God come down among us tonight in the place of prayer. Ezra's ancestry, priest, Ezra's ability, he was a scribe. Three more, but we'll do them next week in the will of God. Let's bow for prayer, please.